You should listen to D&D News Last from Better Buddies. Hello, and welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week, it's John. Hello. And James. Hello. Hola. How's everybody doing? We're dying. We're dying. We're hurting. Give you a good time. Down here at Joe's Good Time Shack. (laughs) Golf Room 94. Shack. It's a barbecue joint, but you wouldn't know that by our name. Isn't that where eight people were murdered last summer? We don't talk Aren't about that. <laughs> Come on, draw down and try new ribs. <laughs> oh, oh, new ribs. Oh. Where do you get them? You sound like someone who uh, asks a few too many questions and really wants to try our new ribs. Yeah, I'm vegan. You should. Uh, you should come over for dinner. <laughs> Alone. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Don't tell anybody where you're going, either. <laughs> oh, no, of course not. <laughs> Channel 6 News has sent John McGorry <laughs> to investigate Joe's rib shack. This is the third reporter we've sent in three <laughs> months. After the other two <laughs> sent in immediate letters of resignation after they visited Joe's, in handwriting that wasn't their own. Anyway, John, how's a look at Joe's rib shack? Uh, I'm no response. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> hi, Joe here of Joe's rib shack. Uh, it's, you got the name wrong. It's actually Joe's good time place. Um, oh shoot! That's John it. never showed up. Uh, the camera guy's here, but John never showed up. I, I don't know if that's See, his car in the lot. It's been here for a day. But uh, he never no. he never showed up. No one was in it. It just showed up overnight. And uh, this camera guy here, he seems like he's okay, right, camera guy? Yeah, you're okay. So we're just gonna it's just a tripod. We're just gonna send that back to you, and uh, yeah, he's, he's just got a little bit. <laughs> he's got like a little something on his face. It's like it looks like barbecue sauce, something else, and then like a little piece of like tattered clothing, like a jacket or something like that. He's, like in the background, like falling, like kind of tucked into a closet is like a bloody coat yeah it's like an arm hanging out <laughs> it's fine well Who needs it now we're going to have to see the good thing working for channel six is that we collect a lucrative cannibal insurance policy <laughs> one of the only channels in the station that does it well, I guess technically that would cost us money. Would it cost them money? No. <laughs> Not if you're insured, right? He's doing all this on air. <laughs> it's the Weird. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Joe promised me this financial arrangement would be mutually beneficial. Mm. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh that sounds like a 
some kind of adult level Scooby-Doo episode where they found out that there's like an arrangement between like the news station, like the person who's the monster or whatever. That's gotta be, that's gotta be son. That's gotta be one. There absolutely is one. There's gotta be one like that. I was watching the snow ghost episode like a couple days ago. Hell Um, yeah. I forgot. Like I forgot what it was like having like a laugh track, uh, in, cartoons i've got that that was a thing for like quite a while in the 60s and 70s you gotta tell people when to laugh james that's they true no otherwise it's true people in the 60s were just so numb most of the time they had to be induced right they had that no. whole thread of thermonuclear annihilation hanging over their head so yeah they're too busy they're looking reminded to laugh sometimes yeah <laughs> laugh uh, clap please <laughs> Yeah, I forget too how beautiful that cartoon is. It's a great little piece of American animation. The backgrounds, Chef's Kiss, amazing. Velma, such shit, according to other reviews. Oh yes, this is what I've this is what I've heard. This is the internet's. um, I've seen more people making jokes about how it's like unifying people based on. It's unifying the political spectrum at this point. Like truly. Vilma is single-handedly repairing this country. I honestly, I like. Granted, I haven't seen a full episode of the show, so I really can't say. I've only seen clips online. Like, I re- it doesn't really look. It just looks like a mediocre show. This reminds me a lot of like the 2016 Ghostbusters stuff, except instead of it being polarizing, it's just like a unified front. But like 2016 Ghostbusters is just like it's like a mediocre summer comedy. Ghostbusters. Like was mediocre comedy with really good uh, Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth was amazing in it. He did really good busting his comedic chops and being just an absolute himbo. Mm-hmm. And I needed like 50% less Ghostbuster. Yeah, which is probably the last thing you want to say in a Ghostbusters movie. Like, honestly, but... even just like remove Melissa McCarthy's character. Or, like, adjust it or something. But she just was being Melissa McCarthy to me. Well, the problem, the problem, right, in the original Ghostbusters is not necessarily... It's not the whole, like, oh, there are men. It's more like each of them had a very defined role. Yeah. And, like, both Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig were kind of, like, the same character. Like, they're... They're both like, I like ghosts, but I'm clumsy. And, like, that was their whole thing. So... It like one anything. of the no and one of the things that like makes um the original ghostbusters is the fact that like like dan Aykroyd is the believer egon is really into the science um oh fuck what's his name um, what's his name um i'm why well, i feel bad i'm forgetting the black guy ernie hudson ernie hudson yeah. is uh is just the average like working joe who's like i'm just here for a paycheck um, but let's see what it's happens. A job. Yeah, it's a job. And then Bill Murray is the con artist. He's the businessman. Yeah. Yes. And it's Winston Zedmore, James. Winston. You forget name like it. Zedmore. I I forgot. I forgot too. It's, He's I not forgot. Canadian. We think of it would be Zemore in the states. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> look at you. <laughs> That's some high class uh, geolinguistic humor right there. Yeah, 
to have cornered the market on geo linguistic humor. <laughs> the number one good. comedy special on Netflix right now is a geo linguistic rob by John McGorry. We're gonna get the episode, uh, we're gonna get the show started in a moment here, but I also want to point out that like the cast had an extra couple characters in it that like helped round out the Ghostbusters thing of you had uh Janine Melnitz as the secretary. She was great, but she was the uh the great thing about her playing, like, Janine as the character was she also just treated it as a job. She was just a secretary stereotype. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. But she was smart. It wasn't, like, a dumb secretary or ditzy himbo or bimbo or whatever. It was just she was a smart, efficient administrator. And then yeah, you had she, yeah. uh, Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis' characters in there as... Hey, we're rounding this out with a couple more real people. Yes, one of them is a love interest, but also, like, we've got this bumbling idiot who's stumbling into something bigger than himself. Our better buddies, Icebreaker, this week. What are your top three personal values? Uh, pass. Present <laughs> and have, future. I have. <laughs> nice. I have none. I'm a black hole. Wow. Uh, so weird. No, I'm just stuck here with a couple of degenerates who value nothing and are just waiting for the no. end of the universe. <laughs> Aren't we all? Isn't that all? No, isn't that our <laughs> wait? Is there anything else to life? I, yes, I on. thought there was. What? <laughs> I thought that was it. You better shut up, man. They're gonna start coming for you. You're spilling secrets right now. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I was gonna go with my top three personal values being like humor, honesty, and uh, like. I don't know, the dollar menu. Hot damn, man. You <laughs> took two of mine at least. Um, both the dollar and menu. Um, <laughs> Actually, uh, a few years ago at a job I was working, we did like a like little educational build thing where we had a fictional budget of like $1,000, right? And there were a bunch of different values and we could like bid on which ones we wanted. And it was supposed to be an examination of like, hey, what's important to you? But I only managed to buy one value, and that was humor for nine hundred dollars. Oh. oh, dang! That's how much it costs. No, that's how much I paid for it. Oh, nice! I was I was betting, and I was not about to lose. That's how much you value it. Okay, that's cool. I I would honestly say I would say like um. I would also agree with humor, um, humor as well. A sense of humor for me is like really important. I love the idea of like being able to banter with somebody because I think it correct it connects directly to my second so a sense of value. Humor, a sense of humor, and third, a sense of humor. <laughs> well, it's like more what it implies, right? Like a sense of humor to me is like because it it implies like so much one of the key things being a second value which to me is like what i would say it's like adaptability or the ability to roll with things like i i can't be with someone who's like like because i can get like this and i have to sometimes like wind myself down um like someone who gets really stuck on things or isn't able to just like roll with something when obstacles come up like that's not saying like you don't have to just like take every punch like you know, you can obviously stand your ground or choose to you know, do whatever, yeah. but like, 
I really admire somebody who can just like things just kind of slide off them and they're able to go from one thing to another to another and kind of maintain the same same pace beat attitude all that and then third would be honesty i value like honest expression and um the ability to convey oneself uh as such pretty pretty highly um so yeah that's what i would say neat john are you gonna stick with the black void of nothingness or perhaps (laughs) um so clarifying question is this personal values values we look in other people look for in other people like um what's the the question here i think it's the top three you value right like what what's most important to you and i think it's just in general like whether it's you look for in other people or in yourself of like oh these are the things i like the most okay um i'd probably say integrity um and then adaptability in james's sense just like being cooperative towards solving problems um and i don't know about a third one you heard it here first john hates humor no jokes for john humor sucks it's what's ruining this country um (laughs) instead of sending them in send the clowns right out I mean, I, of course, appreciate humor, but I don't know if it's, like, in my top three. That's fair. You know? Um, I guess just, like, um, how, how do I say this? Like, putting the effort in, you know? Oh, yeah. Like. Follow through. Not even necessarily follow through, oh. just, like doing your best to okay. try. Yeah. Like a best foot forward kind of solid work ethic sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. Like the the way we describe it at work is ownership, but it's really like the attitude of just doing your best to be the best you whatever the opposite of that know. trend of being unir- like ironically uninterested in things was. Yeah. Nice. Investment. <laughs> Investiture. Investiture. I think it really <laughs> is, though. It. Like, it's that being invested in something and putting your energy into it and, like... Committing to the bit. Owning to it. Yeah. <laughs> Commit to the bit. Commit to the Commit bit to the of bit. putting out good work. Truly the greatest test in life. Yeah, <laughs> it's a series so. of bits that you must commit to. Yeah, exactly. I admire that. So yeah, being life invested, being bit. interested. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. Uh, before we go on to our next segment, do we? Uh, do you guys want to hear about the Dungeons and Dragons drama from the last like two weeks? I've uh, I've had my ear to the ground on some of this. I know that there's been a big uproar, but I don't think I could give as comprehensive uh, an insight as you. We're, we'd be the last people on Earth to talk about it, so... Oh, someone has to be. Oh, that's an achievement. That is. I think yeah. we have to. Um, so a few weeks ago, Wizards of the Coast proposed their new open gaming license. 
It was going to revoke the previous one. Now, the previous one had been in place for, like, uh, two decades. And maybe three decades. And basically was like, hey, you can come make stuff for Dungeons & Dragons. And as long as you, like, put a little blurb on it, you're good. Do whatever you want with it. This fueled a period of large growth for the game. Uh, It resulted in the creation of the Pathfinder system and the founding of Paizo, when a bunch of people who worked on 3rd edition for uh, Wizards of the Coast said, we want to keep working on this, we don't want to do 4th edition. And they went and made their own company. Uh, And then 5th edition came out, and 5th edition exploded in popularity, and a bunch of people started making content for 5th edition under the open gaming license. Notables include Paizo still making stuff, as well as Kobold Press doing a lot of extra work to put make extra character stat blocks and items, and some other companies out there like doing adventures and putting stuff up on the DMs Guild, which is Wizards of the Coast home run browser for people to sell D and D stuff, and it was all very well and good. And the new gaming license said "fuck you." Um, that's it. Basically, that was all the text. <laughs> it functionally, that's all they really needed. Because it's caused a massive spike of uprising grassroots campaigning and d- general grumpiness. Um, in the original version they were trying to push forward, anybody making content would have to pay 25% of any money that came... Any... I know the word. It's not... I think it's any revenue. Yeah, any revenue excess of 75000 so if you made 75000 or more dollars, you had to pay 25% of it to Wizards of the Coast before you made a profit, not after. Mm, revenue is... No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, that one was a little rough, because then if you don't make a profit, you still have to pay the amount. Um, and then it also included a bunch of language against virtual tabletops of, like, you can't do... You can have a virtual tabletop, but you can't be trying to... Trying to make it like the any cooler than running your own home game, so no spell effects, no tokens, no nothing, no cool stuff that makes it cool. Uh, and everybody and their brother who was interested in Dungeons and Dragons said, "This is fucking stupid. Why would we agree to this?" And Wizards of the Coast went, "Ah, fuck! They're running away. How do we stop them?" Uh, so they rolled it back, gave out two half-hearted apologies, and are now taking feedback on their changes to the open gaming license. They've removed the paying things aspect, but they're still going up against virtual tabletops pretty heavily. The reason being is it's suspected that they're div- uh, that they're currently working on their own in-house virtual tabletop that is going to be 3D and be almost intend to be almost like a video game, like an MMO, where like it's got AI and you can just have like AI run games for you if no one wants to DM or if you're a player without a party you can literally just play the game all on your own and with their spell effects and things hence why they're trying to stop other virtual tabletops from having spell effects because oh if we you're the only ones on the market now we got you and you could pay mo- you're going to pay money for us uh just like make the best one <laughs> yeah no that <laughs> that would be easy do. wouldn't it <laughs> that would be the smart thing to do but their well, guy, it wouldn't be easy. True. But. The guy running their virtual tabletop ass side of things comes out of the gaming industry, and wor- rumor is he thinks of gamers as one homogenous group. Mm. Yeah. 
and nobody at Hasbro has any idea how Dungeons and Dragons works. And apparently they also keep the, like, the design team for Dungeons and Dragons pretty isolated. So, like, the people who actually really care and really do know about the game and how it works and how, like, the company should be working forward to continue it, they're isolated and not given much input. So, yeah, shit's blown up. Uh, and this is basically, this is, like, a excellent example of history repeating. Because, prior to 5th edition, which was super popular, they had 4th edition. Do you want to know what they tried during 4th edition? What did they try? Virtual tabletops. Do you know what failed spectacularly? Uh, Marketing. The marketing, their virtual tabletops, and 4th edition. Yeah, you don't hear about 4th edition much these days. No, it was, uh... Part of the problem was it played out very much like an MMO in terms of like they were almost moving towards that like online gaming aspect, but on the tabletop. So you needed to play with a mat and measurements and made it a lot more like a war game. And people just didn't like it. So this is going to. This is going to repeat itself. They're going to have one D&D. One D&D, while probably being an okay system on the design end, is going to flounder and flop because they're pushing the virtual tabletop shit that no one actually wants and no one actually needs. I did, I did hear, I was talking with Calvin, and Cal brought up a good point, which I would like to voice here, which is that uh, in now to play Supreme Devil's Advocate, yeah, perhaps like what, the initial idea was, although it does not seem to be this in execution or its wording, is that, um, like, uh, Cal remarked that on, like, Brandon Sanderson's website, he has, like, some legal pages that basically say, like, um, if you make something that's part, like, you, like if you write fan fiction that's part of uh, his universe... Mm-hmm. And then he ends up writing something that is like similar. You can't sue him. You can't bring out a lawsuit and say, I already wrote that. Like, so that's my idea. So you have to pay me for it. Um, with the grounds being that he's already built this universe in this world and that you're using elements that he's provided so that he technically owns everything within that, whether or not he actually has like made it that's kind of the gist essentially now that's Um, an interesting point to bring up here's the catch sanderson's working in the literary world and books like that and ideas like that can be copyrighted in that manner game systems can't there's a lot of really like tricky legal stuff with game systems where you can't copyright the like methods of playing the game They can copyright, like, a lot of the names and stuff, but you can't copyright the concept of roll dice, tell, like, make decision, tell story. So, like, and even then with, like, the D20 system, Wizards of the Coast can't really copyright protect the D20 system because everybody uses D20s. It's just a dice. So as long as you're not specifically doing, like, 
strength, dexterity, charisma, constitution, intelligence, wisdom as your six stats, and it's all working out precisely identically to Dungeons & Dragons, like, they can't do any- even if you did, there's very little they can do about it. Because it's- the game system itself isn't copyrighted, it's all the, like, specifics that come together to make it Dungeons & Dragons. Like, the added whole has to be what infringes on the Dungeons & Dragons versus the individual pieces. Don't these, don't a lot of these guys though require some basis in like a D&D world to make some of this stuff? Is there not an argument to be made that like, yes, well, you can't technically copyright like a first person shooter that if something mirrors the way that a specific game is like played, that it can be like argued, especially if it's like created from, I don't know. I mean, like, I Are understand you going these to argue that Call of Duty and uh space marines and halo are all the same no because to be fair those are all created by like um those are all created by like major like companies right like and they're not spin-offs of one thing they're not originating from this one point like necessarily there isn't one major shooter that is still immensely popular that a lot of these things clearly derive inspiration from. Like, there isn't one company that's still doing that. These are all, like, separate. They have occupied, like, these spheres for a while. And that's that's the interesting case, I think, with D&D, where it's, like, you have this massive franchise that has been popular for, like, decades now and is occupying this space. And you have a lot of these smaller, like, satellite games or franchises that are clearly, like that have like pulled from it and now they're in like an interesting position where it's like it might honestly just be a, an attempt at corporate maneuvering where they're just like fuck like if one of these things somehow does something better than what we do already like this thing is gonna go down and we don't want this to like go away no. not that people would stop playing D, but like I don't know. What, I mean, what is what is it that Dungeons and Dragons has that no one else could be able to use? Because the only things Dungeons and Dragons has that it like owns in incompatibly cannot stop anyone is the game worlds and like specific game characters. So like the witch Tasha is a character in Dungeons and Dragons who travels the planes and the multiverses and uh or the world of. Um, God, what was, it's not Grey Malkin, Greyhawk. The world of Greyhawk is Gary Gygax's original world that he f created to first play Dungeons and Dragons when he created Dungeons and Dragons. And so the world of Greyhawk is a entire, like, copyright IP owned by Wizards of the Coast. Or yeah. the Forgotten Realms, which is where the city of Waterdeep is. So, like, if they're using the city of Waterdeep, yeah, they're using copyrighted material. But all the other bits and pieces are just, like, elves, <clears throat> dwarves, fairies. The idea that you'd call somebody who goes into a berserker rage... Like, maybe you can't call it a barbarian, but you just call it a berserker. And has the same intent. You can only say gunslinger so many ways. That kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess to be fair, like it would be like um, I don't know. It'd be like way back. It'd be like uh, Microsoft trying to copyright like everything, or say that you know, like basically anything written through Microsoft Word is officially like their property. I suppose yeah. that's like they what must. It is. They must believe, like, they don't do this kind of stuff without. Sometimes people are this stupid, but we're talking about a company that has, like, access to probably a decent amount of legal resources more than most of us. They must have done some type of research before they put this in because this is a, is a pretty significant announcement that I'm sure, like, some of them were told was going to be incredibly incendiary. There must be a reason as to why they believe that this was like, uh, well, yeah, but like, like they've got the Dungeons and Dragons basically is a fifty-one percent market share on the role-playing game market, and fifty-one to like sixty percent, and so they're like, oh, we're gonna box out the market because we got the brand, brand name brand recognition, control our competitors because anything they publish under us will have control over, and. If we choose to, we can, like, in the original one, it basically said, like, if you use our li game license to publish content, we can choose to publish that content. Like, so I'm, I'm confused as to how some of these smaller companies would even be caught potentially in this. Is, are, do they use resources from Dungeons & Dragons, or do they just use the play style? Because, like, debatably... Yeah. Technically, I mean, technically speaking, like Dungeon Wizards of the Coast has to a degree a point where they like invented that, like that Dungeon Dragons did sort of like maybe not wholesale invent, but they definitely like hammered out what a role playing game. I can't. I and so, Grant, I'm not in that space. I can't think of should, another uh, game. If you like want further that. reading, look up Cory Doctorow. He's a open access activist also an author wrote a couple semi-science fiction stories one of them was called little brother uh so he's like he's a big nerd but he's also big into like freedom of information and free development those kinds of things and he does a big long post basically breaking it down of like hey turns out a lot of the stuff y'all are using the open game license to cover your asses with you didn't actually have any legal need to do so Oh, as in it was, what, protected already? As like, in, it's, like, because of the way the law works, and because of the, like, Creative Commons usage, and all those kinds of things, and, like, the stuff that wizards couldn't copyright, couldn't take out from under you, a lot of it you already had access to. Like, wizards just didn't tell you that. Is the open game license, I'm assuming, is it literally just saying you can use, like, basically the base mechanics of D&D &D to go and create your own game? Like, as long as you're not using these copyrighted or trademarked D&D &D properties or titles or whatever, you can use this style of play to go and create your own, your own, like, RPG. Basically. Um, okay. The... Yeah, I'm verifying because I got it here in a book. Um, so basically, it's any of the like trademarked shit. So 
as I understand it, the, yeah, it's kind of like all that trademark shit that, like, oh, if you want to reference this spell or this thing while you're putting shit together. So it basically provides people with a starting with a starting toolkit that they can use to build like their own, yeah, essentially version of a D and D world, essentially. And a lot of it is like fleshing out stuff that already exists, right? So like, oh, there's a city of Waterdeep, but there here's a here's a bunch of new shops you can put in Waterdeep that I made for you based on the D and D system. But, like, so right now, Paizo, the creative Pathfinder, is teaming up with a bunch of other people to basically be like, all right, cool, our new project is Project Black Flag, we're making our own system. Yeah, I mean, can people make money off of these, off of what they create? Okay, I can see then, because technically then, if it's a license under Wizards of the Coast, then then they they basically patented that system. Which means that they're te- they are technically, even if it's shitty, they're they're it would be like if the if the Fine Brothers had actually patented the React formula. Like, yeah, it's not ethical, but in the words of the great Mark Zuckerberg, you can be unethical and still be legal. So technically yes. speaking, however, like they're they're within their rights. Like they can do this. They can I, do I th- this, I'm, but they can't stop anyone else. That's what no, the difference not, is. Yeah, not from creating their own, um, not from like adopting a similar style of play. Like for like for example, like what you're talking about yeah. with um, you know, like for the same reason that Halo can't like trademark Call of Duty for being a first person shooter or vice versa. You know, can't check them. But I definitely, I mean, a lot of this then the stuff that's created under the open game license is essentially it's a it's a it's essentially the the RPG version of fan fiction. Uh, and it does fall way, under I just the purview. It's like if Minecraft tried to go right now and say, oh, we own all mod content. Give us all your... Which it could, we own all the mods. They're all ours. Give us the money. It could technically... It could technically do, because it falls under... Halo could do the same thing with Forge. Like, Call of Duty, Skyrim could do the same thing with mods. Like, it could technically say, because we gave you these tools like these are these are technically are it's kind of like eminent domain like right like mm, in the government no like it's is it is it not because no. it's like okay so as i understand it it's because yes it gets so the tools assets those kinds of things so like if you're using assets they can get you because like hey those are our assets you can't you can't use it stop that but mm. the code the all the little extra things you add on as the mod those are yours. You created them, you invented them. And they can tell you to stop using they can tell you to stop modifying their game because it's in like a whole legal stuff of like not not modifying da 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 da. But they can't take it from you and then turn around and sell it. Okay, and what they're saying is basically that they can take this this content. Okay, I see what the I see what this is then. Yeah. Okay. I like, I see what the discrepancy is. And it's is. also yeah. one of those things, too, where, like, yes, these little other companies have money coming in from it, but, like, Kobold Press is a publishing group that literally is just doing supplementary information for 5th edition. Like, they have, like, three different Tomes of Beast, which are just more monsters you can put into D&D. They've got, 
like extra spells and magic items, but none of it is stuff that you can just play without Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, so they're basically so I guess to talk myself through this, they're this is this is it's similar. It is like kind of like Cal was saying. It's very similar to what Sanderson did, but also very different because they are trying to basically reap like a massive harvest by just saying like all this stuff we now own we can sell it as our own and you can't do anything about it is is basically what it is kind of like and part of it too is the uh the like we own it so uh, yeah we'll let you sell it but we can stop you at any time when we didn't come up with it we don't have legal copyright over it we don't have any control over it in any court of law like we did not make this and again you print like it's the the license is great but what are you licensing from them you're licensing the fact that it's compatible yeah i mean so basically is i mean they're they're basically trying to make i think the eminent domain thing like holds up there right where they're saying like well, technically we already own this because you made it with like assets or whatever that we provided. So we can but come again, in whenever we want. We can just take it. The which stuff again is that not... people have used is stuff like the stat block formatting. It's formatting. It's not like that unique. You can very much copyright or otherwise legally protect a format though. True. But even then it's... Uh, my point was more that, like, okay, yeah, you can copyright the format, but everything outside of the format is kind of fair game. And so, like, if they come up with the stats for a uh, alchemy skunk, then the alchemy skunk is theirs, right? Like, Wizards of the Coast can't claim the alchemy skunk as an idea, because it's not their idea. And they can say, hey, that's our format, don't use our format, but they can't, like take the alchemy skunk information out from under them. Yeah. I mean, I think there's still, there's still an argument to be had that they could make where it's like, you wouldn't have been able to make this had we not provided the initial tools to do it, which again is not fair. Cause that's like someone who makes like a pencil company saying like, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have written this if we hadn't given you the tools. So like it's technically it like whatever you make is like ours. Um, it's like a really hairy thing, but I guess for something that is this specialized, like I can see why they would do it. Cause I think they're just trying to really button up and like, maybe they're trying to really push this thing like forward after seeing like how successful this edition has been. Maybe they really just want to like tighten this thing up and get it ready for like a real push like into something into a bigger market um and the way to do that is to try to cut all these smaller people out so that like when as they try to make these moves there's less interference from people um i don't know uh i will put um, out I'm, there because i went up and pulled up cory doctor's post uh, copyright doesn't cover abstract systems or methods like say a game whose dice tables follow well-established mathematical formula to create a balanced system for combat and adventuring. Anyone can make one of these, including by copying, improving, or modifying an existing one that someone else made. It's uncopyrightable. Um, 
there's also exceptions and limitations of copyright, things you're allowed to do with copyrighted work without seeking permission. Uh, for example, fair use. Complex doctrine often incorrectly characterizes turning on four factors that determine whether or not use is fair or not. But the four factors are a starting point. Uh, and in some cases, Supreme Court history flunk one, several, or even all four factors. Betamax decision that legalized v VCRs in 1984 failed all four. Um, there's incidental fragments. Uh, and as he like summarizes, the open game license gives permission to use things you didn't need permission to use. Um, but it, is that open game game license something provided like like at a federal level, like legally, or is that something provided by the company? Okay, it's, so it's provided by the company. It's a legal document the company put forth, right? Of like mm -hmm. legally speaking, here here's the open game license, and you agree to license use the license. Da da da. It's a court. It's a legal thing you agree to do. But the open game license license ex exempts product and product line names, logos, and identifying marks, artifacts, character, creature characters, story, storyline plots, thematic elements, dialogue, themes and graphic, photographic and other visual audio representations, names and descriptions of characters, spells, enchantments, personalities, teams, etc. Uh, and it's kind of like a merger thing, where some things are open, some things are not, they kind of overlap. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see where this would be, like, I don't know. The only benefit that OGL offers legally is that you can copy verbatim some descriptions of some elements that otherwise might arguably rise to the level of copyrightability. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't copyright, like, a mathematical formula, right? But you can copyright, like, game engines are copyrighted, right? Like, Unity is, co or whatever, is copyrighted. Yeah. Like, like, these, and if you made a bunch of things with the Unity engine, um, like, does that technically not belong to Unity? Like, technically, would they not get some kind of proceeds from it or something because you're using their system like even at least just a mention right like well, i don't know um so absent the as what i only fair use and other copyright limitations and exceptions give you rights to use DD content but the ogl is a contract whereby you surrender those rights promising only to using the DD stuff according to wizards of the coast's wishes for example Absent the open game license agreement, you have a legal right to create a work using non-copyrightable elements of D&D or making fair use of copyrightable elements and to say that the work is compatible with Dungeons & Dragons. In many contexts, you also have the right to use the logo or to name the game, something called nominative fair use, in trademark law. You can certainly use some of the language, concepts, themes, descriptions, and so forth. So basically, like, because of nominal use and fair use and those kinds of things, you can get away with a little bit more outside of it yeah i mean and again it sucks complex mathematical formula to determine the stuff from earlier is not copyrightable it's yeah but I, I yeah like i again i agree like the the actual mathematics you, you know you can't copyright like a formula necessarily 
but you can copy like you know facebook's algorithm is copyrighted and Copyright that's technically does not a apply to ideas say the idea the idea say of elves and dwarves and such running around dungeon killing monsters yeah it's well it's like you can't copyright letters right because someone could copyright the alphabet you got to pay them every time you want to spell your name but like you can copyright the way that things are arranged so if you if you arrange things in a certain way someone comes along and says i like this arrangement can i do something based off of this like you can say like yeah i can give you a license to do this though technically it's within my legal rights to say that this whatever you do partially belongs to me because had i not arranged this in the first place with basic media law right like music uh movies tv books those are all pretty cut and dry but it goes back to the abstract systems abstract systems that are so out there conceptually that it's not just like a firm hard here's this layout you can't copyright it so if they said like here's our formula yeah you can't use the formula Uh but that's a pretty specific it's like a um in pokemon right pokemon is a very specific formula for calculating catch rates you can't Uh just copy the pokemon formula over into your own game you have to come up with your own formula what are the factors in it? What's the math? But the formula for the tables that wizards use and that all RPGs use are too simple, too abstract. Because it's literally, here is a dice, roll the die, what number is it on the table? It's too You can't copyright it because it's not specific enough. That's, like that's one true. Thing. But then can it be argued, though, that though that part is simple, the, the other parts, like how you filter that data, like through various stats, through interactions, through like the, the types of characters, classes, that these things technically were in first, like at first introduced by Dungeons and Dragons, that they do own, for the same reason that Pokemon doesn't own maybe the like core mathematical concept of like, you know, like a random number generation or whatever, like concept is behind their catch rates. They do own how that that little idea is used, and so, that if you try to like build something off of that formula, like if you try to make a ROM or a port for Pokemon game, Nintendo could come at you and say, "All right, yeah, you can do that, but technically we own this because you would not have been able to make this had we not made this first. Yes and no. As my understanding goes, it goes back to that it's uh it's it's specifics, right? Like mm-hmm. yes, Pathfinder was inspired by 3rd edition, but Wizards of the Coast isn't printing 3rd edition anymore. Even owning the copyright on 3rd edition stuff, they're not profiting off it. It's not hurting them it's not impacting any of their sales in that same way and pathfinder is progressing and has its own formulas its own methods of doing things so like yeah with uh D, you would make like a strength saving throw or a charisma saving throw whereas pathfinder has fortitude will and reflex despite having the same exact stats as dungeons and dragons So, like, yes, but it's such a thin 
line that and it's so easy to come up with your own like ways of doing things that it's not it's basically not a problem well like i mean star wars has their own like role-playing games somewhat similar to this like uh, are they under an open game like this nope. this open game license like and, and i mean i think that's probably because they like they develop their own like i i to a degree i agree where it's like if you're developing something under this open game license which is ultimately like this isn't necessarily a public tool it's a it's one provided by a private company like you do assume the risks of like this company because it's run by people who are not like held to a standard a public standard unless they're pressured to do so because of financial reasons they're not held to a public standard like they can do they can do whatever they want with it and if they want to call in their chips and say like you guys all have to stop or like or basically we own you then that's like then that's the state of play like that's what happens but which again, sucks like if they pull the open game license and revoke it it they can't they still can't stop them they legally don't have the grounds to stop them well maybe not yet i mean i i, I could definitely like real like really like well, I, I don't... again it goes back to the what can they copyright they can copyright the name neverwinter they can copyright mm-hmm. Waterdeep. they can copyright tasha the witch daughter of baba yaga but they can't copyright baba yaga because baba yaga is open domain a lot of the monsters mm-hmm. they use are just dragons young dragons old dragons red dragons blue dragons like okay Maybe I can't have my stats on my red dragon be identical to yours, but you can't stop me from having a red dragon. Yeah, that's true. And that's... So, I, okay, I can see that. Yeah, it, it's, so, they can't be identical, but there's enough wiggle room, enough open content, enough open source. Like, you could go and make an entire game based around Egyptian mythology and set in the same, like, medieval fantasy time period, but just in Egypt. And they can't do much about it which like if that's the state then like if you know D is becoming like more corporatized and people are against that because this is what happens right it's like corporations like consolidate and they try to sort of again like button up as much as they can and, and they're going to head in the direction of what they think is going to keep them you know out of the red um then I would love to see a public movement of all these people who were part of this like larger D and D community pull their resources together and and create a a publicly generated version. That's what's happening. Of the game. Like, um, that's what I, yeah. Pathfinder's Project Black Flag is, uh, and I believe they're also there's literally like consolidation of like one thousand five hundred big and small names in the industry who are just like, all right, we're pooling our resources. And getting a legal office to write, like help us write up this license, a legal office that works with gaming industry, so they know what the gaming mm. industry is, and they're going to write up this license, and they're going to hold the license, so it's not under the control of any one uh, company. Well, and that's it's smart. It it makes um, it makes movement more difficult, right? Because like you're going to have to get. You're going to have to get consensus from these people in order to, to uh, from a lot of people. Whereas, like a, a top-down company, ultimately just needs to rely maybe on like a board, which is usually, you know, 
no, I'm not going to say similar, but those people are going to be pretty aligned. Like they're elected to that for a reason or put there for a reason. And I do think like, it seems like maybe that was the intention of Woods- Wizards of the Coast was to get rid of these people um, to create this like legal framework that keeps them out so that they can move without having to worry about potential like um, interference like down the line from somebody who tries to make like a claim if they start making other content like oh well this is this is a lot like what shows up in mine um so you're gonna have to give me money for that they probably just wanted to make sure they didn't have to do that the same thing that protects all the other publishers from wizards protects wizards from all the other publishers well i think they're definitely trying to bring more people into it and the fact of the matter is is most people like you're not going to have a family D &D night chances are like most families aren't it's just not a it's it's not a realistic um market strategy so the other problem too that they put out there with the open game license aspect and pissing off creators is their biggest buyers are the game masters because the game masters are the ones who have to have all the books. So a lot of their money comes from like a quarter or less of their audience. And those quarter or less of the audience are the ones who are also more invested in the industry as a whole. And they said, fuck you. And so all the game, ma- a lot of game masters kind of went, oh, that's how it is. Well, hold on. Let's see. I mean, Marvel doesn't make a whole lot of... Um money from comics does it not nearly as much as the movies yeah so they don't i mean i think what we're seeing is we're just seeing another company that's trying to pull like a marvel i mean i I think they just don't care anymore i I think they've like they've hedged their bets they're like they i think what they think is that this thing is ready for aggressive expansion and they want to really try and see it through they're going to try and like literally capitalize on the movie if they can i'm very surprised because i haven't seen i remember seeing teasers for it i have not seen any advertising for it um recently unless i'm just not going to the right Uh, places i've gotten some but it's more that like algorithmic shit they dropped a new trailer recently and i uh yeah i just i like that's i think that's really what they're doing this whole thing reeks of of um marvel syndrome so or star wars syndrome is maybe a better way to put it so i don't know i i like i don't want them to like i want anyone to fail like i don't know if they're necessarily doing it for the right reasons i think i agree with you where this thing does seem rushed so i hope like i hope that they can reach some level of equilibrium because quite frankly, whether or not they care, they are going to need fan support to get something like this off the ground. And this really wasn't the right foot to start it on. Um, I think it would be cool for this community to get more experience. I think like the whole idea of a tabletop RPG is like one of the most purest forms of gameplay that like exists. And if more people get opened up to that because of like this, that to me is a, is a net positive. Um, So, I don't know. Um, well, it's I, push I, people to other game systems too. Like it used to be like the joking battle over on like D and D memes of in the comments. There's always be people being like Pathfinder's better. Go play Pathfinder. Play Pathfinder. Just play Pathfinder. Why are you playing? No, go mm-hmm. play Pathfinder. And now it's like, oh, 
Maybe we should try Pathfinder. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, I'm, waiting for, is... uh, I'm waiting for Critical Role to announce that they're going back to Pathfinder. <laughs> because they started as a Pathfinder home game, switched over to D&D when they got, like, official and partnered up with Wizards and all that. And now they're... I would not be too surprised in a couple months if, like, following fan pressure, they're like, yep, we're going back to Pathfinder. <laughs> And who knows, like, if these if these separate kind of, like, independent producers come together and they manage to make something that's, like, a successful alternative. You know, every every Marvel needs a DC, or at least manages to find one. And maybe, who knows, maybe Wizards reaches out and they now, you know, they extend, like, an open hand, like, a decade down the line. They say, do you want to, like, collaborate? Maybe not an official edition, but on a supplementary one and maybe now that these studios these independent producers have like more weight hopefully behind what they do they can like confidently say yes but these this is what we're going to be looking for in terms of like legal protection yeah. who knows like that could be a really cool collaboration um and so, it's possible because marvel has done tons of cro- crossovers with dc in the comics there's spider-man and batman punisher and batman uh spider-man and superman uh, they had an entire Marvel versus DC where all the f- heroes fought each other and the fans voted on who would win each fight. And then after that, they did a uh, line of like 12 or 13 single issues called Amalgam. It was Amalgam Comics and it was all the cross, like they all merged into one. So Batman oh, and Wolverine cool. were a character called Dark Claw. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's amazing how much they're able to do with just, like, a few characters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess, like, like, decades worth of time. They, but because of the, because of all that, they can't use any of those characters anywhere else ever again. And there's one character they made specifically for the crossover event, who, he was, like, a new character, and his whole thing was, like, oh, I'm the, I am Marvel and DC personified, like, combined. I am the brothers. I am... I am the guy who splits the brothers and walks between worlds because the like meta commentary of it was like, oh, these two brothers are fighting. These two cosmic entity brothers are fighting one red and one blue. And I was like, oh, yeah, Marvel and DC are fighting. (laughs) But and his name, the character's name was Access, but because, you know, he's accessible to both. Uh, But because he's by both, neither one can use him. Yeah, that's, funny. that's really funny. Yeah, so I guess it sucks right now, but with a little bit of patience, um, both sides, and some hard work, and you know, appropriate decision making, I think it could yield a positive outcome for both. Hey, John. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> we just talked for an hour. <laughs> Oh, sure did, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> any any big thoughts, John? Not on, uh, particularly on the D and D universe. I I, um, I I feel like for John, it's old man yells at cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely understand why people are upset. Um, but like you said, if it's so easy to just go make your own system and not be in legal hot water, then it probably makes the most sense to just do that. Of course, there's the whole not having the established audience thing, but if enough people are upset by this, then maybe there's a good chance of something else really taking off. 
Yeah. It's a spirit. And like again, Pathfinder's already pretty well established. Like it's it's the next big thing in like down the line of like popularity. And now people are drive being driven towards it. And it doesn't hurt that like Pathfinder's a lot more customization in terms of character creation. So like it may draw more people in that way too. But it's too woke, RJ. It is? <laughs> Which is a whole other thing. I don't know. <laughs> I think I've heard that complaint levied at Pathfinder before, but oh, no, people who complain awful. about that is uh, are unreasonable to begin with. So, <laughs> God, did you hear about the M&Ms? No. So the M&Ms introduced a purple M&M. People gotta stop fucking and talking then... about the M&Ms. <laughs> people gotta stop. <laughs> and then... The, there was, like, a thing they did of, like, women supporting women, purple M&M, brown M&M, green M&M, and they desexualized the green M&M a little bit. Instead of heels, gave her just, like, shoes. And apparently Fox got in a bit of an uproar of, like, how fucking dare they wokeify the M&M mascots? Yeah, it's, um... How dare you take away my sexualized M&M? I yeah. saw this, uh... Therefore, we have decided. Yeah, they re- they had to release a, a statement. Mars I guess, Candy was basically stopping. just like, "We're sorry, Eminem mascots <laughs> were this controversial, so we're just gonna not." This seems it's, like a you problem. <laughs> it, it goes, uh, America. Let's talk. In the last year, we made some changes to our beloved spokes candies. We weren't sure if anyone would even notice, and we definitely didn't think it would break the internet. But now we get it. Even a candy's shoes can be polarizing which was the last thing M&M's wanted since we're all about bringing people together. Therefore, we have decided to take an indefinite pause from the spokes candies. In their place, we are proud to introduce a spokesperson America can agree on, the beloved Maya Rudolph. We're confident Mr. Rudolph will champion the power of fun to create a world where everyone feels they belong. Which, also, I don't wow. think... I never understood Maya Rudolph to be quite as popular as some of the names they could have gotten, but I loved her response to being the spokesperson. Wow. Because it's that perfect celebrity, like, I have to hype up being the spokesperson of a goddamn candy. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. This this press release, this graphic might be one of the funniest pieces of American advertising to ever exist. <laughs> oh, no. It's just, that's just amazing. That's yeah. just so, like, inherently funny. We really all have nothing going on, don't we? Or else we're really just trying to distract ourselves from something. Because good, it's both. Goodness gracious, we're trying to distract <laughs> ourselves from Russia's ag- and China's aggressions, but also we have no local problems to tackle that we actually want to put any effort towards. So we're just going to get mad about candy. Yeah, yeah, we've only got the big stuff to worry about, so we got to find some small stuff to occupy our time. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant! That's brilliant. that's just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. This is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. What is that? What is that from? Um, Pinky in the Brain. Oh, I was thinking. Uh, I was thinking Emperor's New Groove. Uh, um. Damn. <laughs> it's it's from. Well, there's a there's a part. After she goes through her whole monologue about how she's going to turn into a flea and then smash him with a hammer. Oh yeah, yeah you're right. Brilliant, you're brilliant, right. brilliant. She knocks over the, or we could just poison him with this. 
<laughs> no. Yeah, dude, she just has vials of poison lying around. She doesn't know what any of them are. Oh, Did you, uh, that movie's awesome. Have you heard the theory <laughs> that uh, Kronk built the trap door with the alligator? Really? Yeah, the theory is that he built the trap door as like a way to keep people from breaking into the lab. And he keeps showing it off to like show her like, hey, look, congr- congratulate me on this cool thing I did to help you. But she doesn't notice because it's Yzma. And apparently at one point in the movie, she even says like, why do we even have that lever? Which means she didn't build it. <laughs> I do like that idea. I like the idea that Kronk is old projects. I think that's funny. It's oh, also yeah. canon that he talks to the angel and devil on his shoulders and no one else can see them. It's all come together. Yeah, that's that's what makes them... That's what makes them they can see him know. talking to them. It's not just in his head. He's like having the conversation completely one-sided. Yeah, he's just schizophrenic. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he's not schizophrenic. He's immoral, John. <laughs> he uh-huh. does have one of the nicest devils ever. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's uh, coming. Oh uh, yeah. Oh for sure, Daria. I do. I do love when Cusco's uh, poison. When... The poison for Cusco. Um, I love when he's like talking with them at one point, and uh, what is it? The devil's like. Uh, yeah, no, he, he turns the devil. He's like. Uh, so what do you got? So what do you got? Like watch this, and he like uh, does like a handstand or something. He's like <laughs> he turns the angel. He's like, "What can you do?" And he's like, "I don't know." It's, no, no, no. It's he's got a point. No, no. He's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He's got a point. <laughs> I just love the idea that his like uh, depictions of morality are just as like kind of uh, thick-headed as he is. It's very, yeah. it's very fun. It's very innocent. The original um, himbo. The original the OG. My boy, the OG. Uh should we uh should we just wrap this episode or should we actually do anything else? Because uh, I can cut uh, I can cut some of the last shit. <laughs> we can be done. Okay. If we want, yeah. I mean, hey, if we were the last people to talk about it, that's, uh, I don't think it's a bad last conversation to have. You hear that? Anyone? Yeah, we won, John. High five. High five. Sick. Also, high five, RJ. High five. High five. Wham. Wham. Uh, Quick question, though. Mm-hmm. How unreasonable is it to think a man shouldn't walk into another man's home and put on their slippers? With the further details, my brother-in-law walked into my home and put on my slippers, then went outside walking in them. My wife thinks I'm being unreasonable. I told her it's an unwritten rule in the unwritten book. Thoughts? Edit. Not my wife's brother, her sister's husband. That makes it worse. Yeah, it does make it worse. It makes that it so be... much worse, and I don't really know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, because he's, he's like two degrees of separation from you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's basically no. a stranger. Almost, yeah. Yeah, so, I would I mean I I don't think that's I don't think that's okay. This is coming from the guy who used to walk into people's fridges 
I mean, they're homes. <laughs> that is true. You were so driven to the fridge that you ignored the home and thought you were at the fridge. I was. I was like, wow, kind of crazy that they put this massive fridge just on the street here. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> oh my god, John, you live here? It's nuts. <laughs> so this guy's being yeah. pretty reasonable that you shouldn't just walk into someone's home and put on their slippers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's contextual to the relationship, but I, I don't know. Like, I've known a lot of people a long time, but I wouldn't do that. You should have really. asked. Yeah, at least asking first. Yeah. <laughs> can you just imagine walking in and asking that question? They're like, hey, man, can I uh, can I put on your slippers? Like, what shoes did you be- walk in here with, bro? <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, sure, I guess. They're you pretty comfy. Yeah, just check them out. Take them for a spin. All right. Oh, man, that yawn probably means it's time to end. All right. John, James, thank you for joining this week. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Wow. James, you really speak for John like that? Well, I always I think... hate it here. <laughs> thank you I for just, having us. I just feel, I feel like... You're fucked if you, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Because it's like either I say thank you for having me, and then I just sound like a selfish douche, or I say thank and then you for I having you out for us. Being a selfish douche. Yeah, and then I and then I feel it sounds like I'm making assumptions. I'm trying to make the right choice, and I fail every time. Ah, James, RJ, your martyrdom <laughs> is an inspiration. Oh, thank you, sir. We shall found a religion in your honor. Ah, uh, finally. It's going to be more like a cult. Finally. I hope you can pay your dues, better. despite being the, lead, the martyr that inspired the cult. Oh, cults are way sexier than religions. I can totally get down. Your, uh, your sure. involvement is mandatory, but you're not exempt from the dues, so I hope you have $3,000 lying around. Well, I'm dead, so you can liquidate some Oh, no, no, no. We open the ceremony with your killing to uh, an ascension to martyrdom, but you still have to pay to be a part of the cult. So if I don't pay, then do I not get killed? No, you, you got to come up with the money, James. This is extortion. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. I need $3,000. And the only way for me to get it is for me to make you a martyr of a cult where you have to pay money to be murdered, to be the martyr. Don't you understand how it all works? What are you not getting here? <laughs> what don't you understand? This was the simplest plan I could think of. Please. <laughs> Why is that not an adult animated show of the guy who accidentally starts a cult and it just keeps spiraling out of control? Honestly, it should be. I could. Di- that's very much like uh, Adult Swim material, I would say, for sure. We'll save that for next week. Yeah, yes, yes we will. Thank you to the band Problem Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. We're also on social media. Our Facebook is Better Buddies. Our Twitter is at Better Budcast. Use the hashtag Better Buddies when you tweet about the show. And our Gmail account is betterbuddiescast at gmail.com. You can send us fan art, hate art, fan mail, hate mail, declarations of love and or war, icebreakers you want us to answer, or questions you need advice on. 
or any movie ideas you want us to flesh out. Last but not least, be a better buddy. Yeah, definitely. Well, because remember, too, like part of the plot line is that um, they live across the hall from each other. That yep. Rick Moranis has like a crush on Sigourney Weaver and she's not returning the affections, which which adds like a little bit of motivation when he turns like later in the movie. And like, I don't know, like all these characters are kind of, yeah, they all fulfill like certain roles. And I think Ghostbusters 2016 was just kind of like more interested in trying to go for a, a strictly comedic uh yeah. bent which is which is fine but um i don't know honestly if they wanted to do that they should have just done like caddyshack or something 